The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Friday, March 5th, 2021. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting, dodo birds, and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me. And before we get into it, special shouts to Deadleg for the intro to Wednesday's episode. For reasons that remain unclear, I was not allowed to listen to that introduction before we recorded. So I didn't know what it was until most of you listening knew what it was. But it was a nice trip down memory lane it is wild to think about how we went from playing games in full arenas on a wednesday to everything being shut down on a thursday like it happened that fast in fact it probably took you more hours to make that Hmm. intro than it took for sports to shut down after rudy gobert tested positive can you confirm or deny Let's do the math on. Uh, no, it did not take me more, but it was it was close. I I almost sent you the file, but I wanted you see what I knew was going to happen was everyone was going to listen to the intro and then the podcast. You were going to be the only human that did the podcast not knowing what the intro was, and I wanted you to experience it afterward. Um, so, and you know, I just I. I just, I just I just wanted to surprise you like that. So I, I appreciate the uh, the kind words. I spent about. I, I, I initially I thought it was like close to 15 hours. It wasn't that long. I did three different sessions, and it was probably like between 12 and 13 hours. Two of those hours being me searching for the music that you heard in, as like the music bed, like trying to find like that's not quite what I want there. That's not what I want there. Finally getting it, and then the first edition was about eight minutes. So then I cut some stuff out, but it was, uh, it was a fun thing to do. Like I, I, I probably spent six of those 12 hours. Last Friday night, there like there was a couple games on. My wife was exhausted. She was she had a Zoom meeting with like a, a Zoom happy hour deal with some friends of ours that she just hasn't seen in person forever. So she did that for like two hours and then she went to bed. So I for like four four and a half hours, I just kind of storyboarded everything and got it together. Um, I had to go to uh, some of our HQ people. I say, listen, I do we vault this stuff from a year ago? Like, do you have what was on HQ when all this was going down? They're like, yeah, we can find it for you. So everything that you heard that was like an HQ hit, they provided to me, which was uh, which was great, and it was it was wonderful. Parish, what I did, what I honestly did not anticipate was like I knew people were gonna love it. How can you not love it? Like, how can you not listen to that and get fired up? What I did not anticipate was how many people reached out through email or DM text uh, uh, at, at mention and said they legitimately got, you know, seriously emotional over this introduction. Uh, I didn't expect that to be the case. I'm going to read you real quick something. 
a listener named Tim Anderson emailed me. He sent me this yesterday. I haven't hit, I haven't hit him back yet, but I will today. He said, I had to reach out to you to say how impactful the intro to Wednesday's Eye on College Basketball podcast was. He said, it's often said that sports are a microcosm of society. Nowhere is that more true than Wednesday's intro. Listening to that was an emotional roller coaster. Each soundbite from a year ago brought back everything like a punch to the gut. With each day, a new development, more heartbreaking than the previous one. And we all know in the midst of a pandemic that's taken over half a million American lives, the, the college basketball tournament isn't that big of a deal. Uh, and then he continues... Your intro reflected society, the optimism that vaccines have brought and the decreasing number of cases. We hear the news of the tournament moving to Indiana. Then Jim Nance, Clark Kellogg, Bill Raftery, Kevin Harlan. It's voices from the past. But for me, it was the opening notes of the road to the final four that broke me. That did it. No hyperbole, Matt. I actually started crying. Real tears. Again, sports is a microcosm for society. Sends a few more nice things, which I appreciate. I had a friend send me a text of a friend of theirs that I don't know, and I tweeted this out, where they were apologizing for anyone that passed them on their run earlier in the week as they were sobbing listening to the podcast intro. I wasn't trying to emotionally break anyone. I just wanted to, uh, you know, kind of kind of make it my Avengers endgame of podcast intro. So I appreciate the kind words, GP. And everyone that reached out, uh, trust me, I had as much fun and joy building that for you as you had listening to it and discovering it on the podcast. I did not cry. I didn't cry, but I, what, what, where it took me was back to that place, back to that time where, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty well-informed person, you know, like I read and I, you know, I, I watched, you know, cable news and there's, I, I rarely am just sort of out of grasp, I don't have a proper grasp for what's going on. And I just... I just didn't have, and I don't think most people did, uh, you know, like I was at the CAA championship game on that Tuesday night, shaking hands. And it, I, like I was in DC, I woke up that morning, uh, went and got breakfast in a restaurant in, in Washington, DC. Yeah. Nobody was wearing a mask. All the, t the place was completely full. Yeah. This was on the Tuesday. And then I remember the Ivy league shuts down. The Ivy league says, all right, we're out. And I got, text messages from like Ivy League coaches who were like, you've got to, you've got to tweet how stupid this is. You've got to, you know, you got to. And I was like, you know, like I hear you. I, if I were you, I'd be upset too, especially when the whole world is still like rocking and rolling like normal. And I, I said, I just assume that if the Ivy League presidents, like, like I'm a, like by definite, like the smartest people, <laughs> the smartest yeah. people, yeah. like you, you can't be dumb and run a, a, an Ivy League school. I don't think. I'm just assuming if they did this, they know what they're doing. I, like, I don't know. I, I'm a little surprised too, but I feel like they probably know what they're doing. So I, so I, I didn't tweet anything. And I, I think I tweeted, I, I, I didn't tweet anything to criticize anybody. I think I tweeted something similar to what I just said. And then I go to that CA championship game and it's like, you know, fans are there like normal, no mask. I'm like, I'm, I'm interviewing coaches and players like six inches from their face. I, I, um, a referee, we found out mm -hmm. later, tested positive for COVID there. I was coughing so bad that, and, and like, I, I would have been embarrassed to do this, you know, with the benefit of hindsight. I had a bottle of NyQuil on the desk <laughs> with me at the CAA tournament. I'm the sideline reporter chugging uh, DayQuil yeah. to, to just allow me to not cough on air. So, like, I'm, I, I, I most certainly had COVID. And... 
so then fly home the next day. I'm coughing the entire time. I feel like at that point it was starting to become like people were talking about COVID, but nobody was acting any differently. I was on a full flight, no, no mask, but I was coughing and I felt, I felt like a jerk. Um, mm-hmm. and, and then I, I, and then the, the Rudy Gobert tested positive that night and the next day it was all over with, but how, and I remember on that, so that, that all happened. Um, yeah. I, I remember on like that Thursday or Friday morning, Thursday, then, the tournament got canceled on a Thursday. Right. And so on that Friday, I was supposed to fly back to New York on that Friday. And we had a meeting on that Thursday. I wasn't involved in the meeting, but it was like this higher up CBS meeting. And this is before the tournament was canceled. And I was texting with somebody who was in that meeting. And I was like, so what do you think? And they were like, I'll be shocked if you get on that plane tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Like, this is, it's just not, this is, this is over. And so I didn't get on the plane Friday. So I had like some free time. My wife and I went to, cause people were starting to go, you need to support local businesses. We don't know where this is going. Could be a few weeks. You know, it was like, could yeah. be a few weeks. Uh-huh. And my wife and I went to a local cafe and kids are in school. Kids were in school like normal. And the, the tables for the, this is the first time I ever saw the table space out. They had already done that. And we're sitting down and I said, man, I, because at this point now I'm reading everything and I'm, I'm more in, 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 I got a better grasp of what's happening. And I said, I don't, I said, look around this room right now. I said, I don't think anybody in here has a proper grasp for how different our world is going to be. Our country is going to be a week from today. And here we are <laughs> all these, all these months later. Um, so that, that's what the intro did for me. It didn't make me cry. Um, it made me think about how abruptly all of that happened. It was really like, there's a part in the intro where you're, you say, it's really like an hour by hour thing right now, something along those lines. Yeah. And it really was. It was every hour, something is getting taken away from us. Every hour, you have a better understanding of what is happening. And um, I, I enjoyed it from that perspective. It, it took me back to a, a wild place. Did you enjoy... For those who, there's probably, I don't know, maybe 30, 40% of the audience that gets the reference, but I think this is now the third straight year I've dropped in uh, a bullet with butterfly wings, Smashing Pumpkins, World is a Vampire. <laughs> That's my favorite part. Yeah, exactly. That is, is that the best opening of a song ever? Exactly. Like, I mean, ever in the history of music. It's one of the most distinct, without a doubt. Um <laughs> So, yeah, no, that was, uh, I wanted to, I, I tried to mix in some, some funny stuff there with, uh, with the serious stuff. And then, um, if, if you're wondering, I had a few people ask me, who is the, who is the kid whispering? That's Sean Astin from Goonies. So the, I did know that it all starts here. Yep. That's Sean Astin from Goonies there. And, um, no, it was, it was a, it was a blast. I, I, I did retweet this one guy, this, this kind of got to the essence of what I hoped would happen here. Uh, and many of you sent messages and I, I read them all. I appreciate it. Um, he goes, this might be the greatest seven minute introduction in podcast history. I am yelling in my car, just the image of someone like that fired up. Um, a couple people said they like, they absolutely broke down once I, apparently once I brought in like, um, the the TV CBS intro with Nance and Harlan and Vern Lundquist, you know, reacting to uh, Leitner beating Kentucky and all that stuff, because uh, that's when the that's when the mood shifted. So I appreciate that. A couple people have, have asked me, by the way, if I could put this on like a SoundCloud or something. I will upload it to either my personal YouTube channel or Sound. I'll I'll get it up there if you want. Um, uh, because I, you know, I, apparently that's something people want. So I'll I'll make sure that I get that and make it available to you. But uh, the, but yeah, the only omission. What? I feel like the only thing you missed here. Hopefully. Oh 
you, in the in the when you start going to the great, you should have had Dozier for the championship. Oh, <laughs> Dozier for the championship true. would have been funny for people who listen to the podcast because it's it's not an iconic moment. It's a total throwaway line at the, <laughs> but it's a it's such a funny moment. Dozier for the championship. Dozier at midcourt for the championship. No, no. no. Yeah, that's actually that is a good point. Um, but no, it was. Uh, I'm never going to top that. By the way, so next March I'll do another one. I don't know under you know what uh what theme or whatever but that that was unfortunately that was the peak there but i appreciate that and to anyone that found joy from it great i hope i didn't make you cry in a public space uh, i hope oh oh by the way i got um i got a text message so the 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 climactic ending to it uh the let's go that is matthew driscoll if you're on a, if you if you recognize the the voice and you know the video that sometimes gets tweeted out it's like a six second video with a coach screaming at the top of his lungs in the locker room that is matthew driscoll at north florida when before they were playing in their ncaa tournament game like four or five years ago he sent me a text I was going to have it for the pod. I don't have it, but that's fine. He sent me it because I had, I had tweeted out all these, you know, random cryptic Easter eggs on Twitter that annoyed a hell of a lot of people. And um, But now you know why I did it. And then he sent me a text message of him looking at his phone with the screen grab. He goes, love the intro. Let's go. Tons of exclamation points. Can I at least get a break with my bald spot, man? Because I showed a picture, not of his face, but just his head. And then he, he recorded for North Florida. I think they played at home games when there are fans of him, like, recreating that entire moment there. But he loved it as well. So that was uh, that was wonderful here. Shouts to Matt Driscoll, who gave us maybe the greatest let's go in the history of mankind. If, if, you, if for whatever reason you haven't listened to Wendy's, Wednesday's episode yet, go check it out because it uh, it is a, a fun first five or, 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 or six minutes. Let's get into it. Um, I guess the biggest news in the sport since we last recorded is probably Colin Gillespie's season-ending knee injury. Went down in the first half against Creighton, torn MCL. Norlander, you and I have both dealt with serious leg injuries in our lives. I tore my ACL in high school. Your leg died two years ago. Now Colin Gillespie has joined our club. How awful is this for Villanova? How awful is this for Colin Gillespie? Uh, it's pretty bad here, yes. My, uh, my leg is fully back to life, thankfully. Um, this is devastating to the point where I, I do think that Villanova's chances of getting to a Final Four, like they take a significant hit here. Um, he is their primary, I don't, I don't want to say only option at point guard, but there's no one close. Like he is the senior point guard leader. Uh, Jeremiah Robinson Earl is Villanova's best player. Colin Gillespie is the straw that stirs the drink. And I say that both from an on-court perspective and I mentioned this on HQ, you know, when I saw Villanova at Mohegan Sun back at the start of the season, um, I was able to see them, you know, at shoot-arounds, practices, you know, before games, after games, in the huddle, in the hallway, you know, it, it was all Colin Gillespie rallying the, rallying the team. Like, he was the vocal, utter alpha dog. Now, he'll still be with the team, but there's a difference between being that guy and then, like, leading your team onto the court and running the offense and being that guy that's just... Uh, a huge emotional push support guy, uh, essentially now a cheerleader from the bench there. So it's a it it totally sucks for him. 
Obviously, I mean, senior, he has the option to return for another year of eligibility regardless if he chooses. I don't know if that will or won't happen. But to lose this in that kind of way, you know, getting tied up with Damian Jefferson, trying to make a play in the paint, super tough kid. Uh, it just, you know, to state the obvious, it stinks. It's terrible. We get, the, we get, you know, it seems like once every couple of years or so, we happen to get a high-profile player on a potential Final Four contender that deals with, uh, uh, you know, a major injury either to end of season or, or really at the end of his uh, his senior season, and that's the case here. We'll wait and see what Villanova can do without him from a point guard perspective. Justin Moore would make sense, I guess, to step in uh, and be that guy that's going to run the sophomore to run the point. I suppose six four. Uh, Villanova plays at Providence on Saturday. That's a road game. Uh, oh, by the way, Villanova's three most recent road games have all ended in losses. So keep an eye on that too. Uh, it's awful, clearly, for Villanova and for Colin. The only thing that makes it less awful than it otherwise would be is is what you noted. It doesn't have to end this way for him if he doesn't want it to uh, because every player in the country has an option to come back next season, even seniors. And so, I again, I don't know what he's going to do. Let me ask you this first. Do you have a sense for how many seniors are going to exercise this option? I, I get stressed about it when I think about having to do <laughs> the preseason top 25 and one like what like usually it's easy you just say all the seniors are gone i don't like i don't know how to handle that this season uh, i don't have a sense for this to be honest um i know that there will be there will be some and i do think that there are going to be players at like the mid-major level that decide to return and in, in doing so make for could make for some some pretty robust teams next season if you know you're a year older you're a year better and you want to stay with that team on a good team um, but I don't I don't have a real grasp on how many will opt to do this and also if players want to transfer for their final year and not have to sit and get that bonus year of eligibility how that also that, that's definitely a you know week after the NCAA tournament kind of topic maybe we can hit on on the pod. But I do think that's another element that needs more uh, clarity. But I do think there will be no shortage of college basketball players that decide to take advantage of this. I don't know if anyone that would be considered top 100 level will. Maybe Gillespie would be that type of player if he decides to do so. And again, Colin Gillespie can do whatever he wants. I'm not sure what he will do. But he seems like a great candidate for this. I mean, this is somebody who um, is the leader and arguably best player, certainly one of the best players. He's, he's second in points per game, first in assist, um, on one of the best teams at one of the best programs in America. Um, you, 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 and, and he's not an obvious NBA prospect. I'm not ruling out that he could play in the NBA because I don't do that to people. I've been surprised before. Um, but, but he's not an obvious NBA player. You know, it's not like he... You want to be the 35th pick in the draft or come back to school? He's not probably picking between those two things. So what is he picking between? I, I mean, I, I don't know. Like G League or overseas, if we're being realistic. The most likely scenario is overseas or G League. Or coming back to Villanova. You know, Villanova's great every year. So, you know, winning, an, winning another Big East title. He could close his career with like nine of them. And, you know, competing for Final Four. Maybe being an All-American. And having your college career end another way like if he just wants to get on with it and and earn a paycheck that's I, I, I wish him all the luck in the world and I understand it but I, I think if I this is what I always say I don't you know he could do whatever he wants but if I put myself in his shoes what I think I would do is rehab like have surgery rehab and then try to have one of the best um, try to have the final my final season of college basketball in the way I envisioned it as opposed to end 
with an awkward fall on a Wednesday night against Creighton. I agree. There's one detail that I haven't seen anyone, not that it hasn't, I just haven't come across this, be it uh, in commentary anywhere, that I wanted to to bring to uh, to listeners' attention here. So it is a torn MCL and not a torn ACL, which is good news because that you never want to tear any of your ligaments in your knee, but that is a less severe injury. And Villanova, when it put out its release, when I read it through the second time, I was... The wording on it was, in effect, I don't have the the release in front of me, but it was, you know, he's expected to miss the rest of the season. It wasn't like he's done for the rest of the season. He probably will. Now, a torn MCL keeps an athlete out on average anywhere from six to ten weeks. So, you know, if Villanova made some sort of run to the Final Four, I don't think he would return anyway, but they did not say for sure that he is out. He is a, he expects was the word they used. So that sure. was that was interesting. Also, it does allow for uh, a window for Gillespie, if he chooses, to be healthy enough to train by May. Get, the draft is not going to be in June this year. He is going to have interesting options. There's no doubt about it. I, you know, whatever he wants to do is fine by me. If he came back, there's no reason to believe that he wouldn't be really like a top ten player in college basketball. Honestly, like he can be that good. Jeremiah Robinson Earl will definitely go to the NBA draft, so he would become Villanova's best player. Which I actually thought he would be in the preseason. I was wrong about that. Jre indeed is their best player. Um, but just keep an eye uh, on that as well. I don't think he's playing again this season. But the fact that Villanova didn't 100% say he was out, like they said, he's expected to miss the rest of the season because of the nature of their. If this is an ACL. There's no doubt about it. But uh, the fact that it was an MCL, that's also good news. It, it could have been worse than what he actually had. I did notice that they worded it that way. Um, you know, like, what's the harm in wording it that way? You, you don't have, you know, they, we expect him to be, like, they've been pretty transparent. You know, Jay was, uh, you know, after the game, like, it's serious. Like, you know, I, you know, we don't have, we get the MRI tomorrow, but uh, it, it's, it's serious. And as I said on CBS Sports Network Wednesday night, I've been listening to coaches talk about injuries after games long enough to know they don't say it's serious unless they know it's serious. You know, coaches, usually you ask that question, you know, we're, 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 you know, you know, we're, we're going to get the MRI tomorrow. Don't know anything right now. You know, they, they just talk around it for Jay to just come out and say, Hey, listen, it's serious. I, I, that was the best indication that it was serious and it is serious. Um, you know, one art, and I don't think this, I, I don't think he's playing again this season, but like you could say, well, is it really a season-ending injury if we don't know when the season will actually end? Like, what if the season gets delayed? You know, what if it's, you know, again, this is so far-fetched. I don't believe it. But, you know, there's no, they, the way they worded it, I noticed. I don't think it means anything that'll matter. I don't think Villanova will play another game with Colin Gillespie uh, this season. Um, they'll still be good, and they'll still be a threat to, get to the second weekend. I mean, who knows? I'm not going to put a ceiling on a Jay Wright team, but undeniably you lose not just your second leading scorer and leading assist guy and, and starting point guard, but like the heart of your team. And I know that's a bit of a cliche that people throw around, but like by all accounts, he is the heart of that team. And it's a big, big, big loss. Yeah, it's significant. Uh, Villanova plays six days from today in the first round uh, quarterfinals, I should say, of the of the Big East tournament. It will be the one seed. We don't know its opponent yet. Um, my last thing on this, I got asked on this on HQ, as as you might have on your Wednesday night hit, um, 
or I, I, I don't know if you were or you weren't, but uh, what will this do to Villanova's seeding? My instinct tells me that it will do very little because how this is going to go is if Villanova continues to win without Gillespie, then obviously its seeding will only uh, it will. It will its its status will improve. It can't it can't be hurt without Gillespie if you continue to win without him. If it loses, then any drop on the seed line will almost correspond with the nature of the losses that it takes. So if it loses at Providence and then loses its first game in the Big East tournament without Colin Gillespie, it would it could potentially go down to a five seed, and that might be legitimate considering uh, where Providence level is is. And if you're playing the eighth seeded team in the Big East tournament, that's not an NCAA tournament team, um, particularly with the look at how well, the Big Ten and Big 12 teams have been doing around Villanova, uh, that just might make sense. So if you're if you're wondering if losing Colin Gillespie means that Villanova could be subject to the most obvious instance we always go to is Kenyon Martin. It's not apples to apples. He was the National Player of the Year. He got injured, and they didn't play any games after that, and they dropped from a 1 to a 2, which I thought was fair. It's not going to be like that. Uh, they will obviously discuss Gillespie's impact in the committee room. There's no doubt about that. I just don't think that there will be any tangible evidence to suggest that Villanova will be uh, get a seed line bump because it won't have Gillespie. Creighton has now suspended Greg McDermott from all team activities, including this weekend's game against Butler for his racially insensitive remarks. We're going to get into that next, but first, check this out. Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. So Creighton announced, I guess it was late Thursday, that Greg McDermott is now suspended from all team activities, including this weekend's game, because of racially insensitive remarks he made after a recent loss. Um, Norlander, what what do you make of of this decision after they had previously said everything, anything that we do will be handled internally? And uh, I guess my second question would be this. If you're going to do this, which you know, reasonable people can disagree on whether they should do what they did or not. But if you're going to do it, why didn't you do it before the Villanova game? Because before the Villanova game was still after this story had already been made public. That's the question here. I mean, Creighton completely botched this. When we talked about this on the Wednesday episode, he, he, you know, the story had come out, uh, the statements had been made, and at that point, our understanding was that any additional, you know, punishments were going to be private, which again is just BS. It doesn't, just because you're a private institution. I mean, this is the same school that refuses to publicly acknowledge that it has received its notice of allegations from the NCAA, which it has. You know, that stuff just doesn't fly with me at all as it pertains to this, as it pertains to the NOA and all of that. The fact that, you suddenly, like, you allow McDermott... McDermott, on the record, has said, I was ready to resign. 
okay? I made a mistake. I misspoke. This was an egregious error. If you want me to leave the program and not coach this team anymore, I'm willing to do that, okay? Players say no, 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 no. At least, at least enough people said no where that did not happen. We don't know if anyone would have said, yes, I'd prefer you to do that. We don't have those answers. So McDermott coaches against Villanova. And then Creighton puts out a statement, you know, in the 9 o'clock Eastern hour about on Thursday night. After our Creighton men's basketball team returned to Omaha earlier today, uh, Father Hendrickson and I engaged with other senior leaders in dialogue and discussion regarding appropriate sanctions for the remarks made by McDermott that were not in alignment with Creighton's commitment to racial equity, diversity, and respect. Coach McDermott and the team have accepted that effective immediately. He is suspended from all team activities, including Saturday's home season finale against Butler. Further sanctions remain under consideration, not of all of which will be shared publicly. Okay. So he won't coach against Butler on Saturday. We don't know if he's going to coach again at all this season. It's quite clearly uh, a terrible look to let him coach against in your biggest game of your season on the road against Villanova with a league championship on the line. You know, like it just doesn't look good. You, you do this, you have him coach against Villanova, then he gets back home, and now he's suspended. If if I don't quite understand why you weren't able to determine this from early Sunday morning until Wednesday, we had all this time between the end of the Xavier loss and when the statements came out acknowledging what had happened to decide this. And then what changes uh, in a matter of time, you know, apparently Creighton remained on the road, I guess. And so this was the first time they'd actually got back to campus. And, you know, I don't necessarily think person to person interaction needs to require this kind of suspension. McDermott, by the way, he did tweet when all this came out. He said, I made a mistake and I own it. Mistakes come with consequences and I accept and agree with the suspension. Those are my thoughts. Um, we'd just be interested to hear yours here. And, you know, the, uh, as we spin it forward, does he or does he not coach in the Big East tournament? Uh, if he doesn't, does he then, or does he not coach in the NCAA tournament? And where we go from there? I guess I don't care what you do. Like, you know, like whatever, whatever you feel is appropriate, do it. Um, but like, I don't understand why you, like why you circle him back. Like you, this, you, you, you got the story. Everybody's on the same page about what happened. You acknowledged it publicly. And then you were like, he's going to keep coaching. And whatever we do, we'll do privately. And then very publicly, after he coaches a game, you say he's not coaching this week. Like, what? Like, just make it like, what, whatever you're going to do, do it. But like, what? why Why are you circling back to this after initially saying this is what we're going to Hey, this is, he's going to coach. We talked to him. Um, you know, we might do some other things, but that'll be private. And then two days later, you do the literally the opposite of what you said you were going to do. That's the part I don't get. Um, and wh why circle back? Is it because you 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 didn't like the public reaction? By the way, what is the public reaction? What what is what do, what do people think about this? Because I'm conflicted on it. I know the easy thing to say is you can't say that type of thing, and he should be fired and never to coach again in college basketball. But I don't know that I believe that. Like, I, I, I believe he was wrong, and I don't understand how those words even came out of his mouth. Yeah. But, but I, the idea that Greg McDermott's career should be over because he used a very poor and racially insensitive an analogy, I, I, I just don't know that I can get on board with that. Like, I, I, like, if they were to fire him, I, wouldn't, I don't think I'd write the column saying, um, 
you know, this is the most wrong thing that Creighton could have done. Like, you know, I'm, I'm not interested in getting into that fight. I just don't, I, I, I don't, if I'm being completely honest, I don't know that this is a quote fireable offense. No. And I don't think that people are calling for McDermott's job or anything like that. The, the analogy is bizarre. I've never heard it in my life. Yeah, he he could have just, I mean, he might've just been misspeaking period, but the fact that you would even go there obviously just brings to, to light, you know, some, some obvious questions there are Creighton's leadership could have gotten more response, uh, that made it that, that you know, maybe he, he coaches Villanova and then some people get their message to the athletic department, to the athletic director, to the president saying, hey, listen, like, we're not saying he needs to be fired, but how is this acceptable? If we are in a new era here, we need to have an extended dialogue and this, this, this isn't enough. And they might have heard from enough people um, in the right voices that they need to be listening to that said, okay, no, we hear you. And then they went, obviously, to McDermott and said, this is what we're going to do. He had, he's not fighting it. He's handled the, frankly, aside from the idiotic, racially insensitive three sentences that he said, he's handled this as he should be handling it. He's handled it very well. Talked about it in the post-game press conference after the loss against Villanova uh, about what he said. And, you know, he's owned it completely and is willing to uh, go through everything that he needs to go through in order to make sure something like this doesn't happen again. It's not the most egregious mistake in the world. It is bizarre. But I don't get the feeling that people are, you know... I don't, I don't, I don't get the sense that people are saying that McDermott should be fired. Uh, people might think that you know a suspension should be in order here of some sorts because you don't want to set bad precedents where if you're, if you're you know unintentionally throwing out racially insensitive language about not leaving the plantation, which is just, I mean, it's weird, Parrish. It's a weird thing to say. And McDermott, like I, I grew up in the that. South, and that's not even something people yeah. down here accidentally say. I mean, people might say it, but like they're, you know, they're straight racist. Um, but like, the, like, that's not something that somebody I've ever even heard accidentally say. It's just not a, it's not a normal phrase. It, so it is bizarre. I agree. Bizarre and punishable. Sure. I, I'm, I'm fine with it. Greg seems fine with it. Uh, you know, let this be a, a, a lesson learned for him and a teachable moment for others. You know, your words matter. Choose them carefully. And if you don't, there is a price to pay. I'm fine with all that. I just don't understand why whatever the price to pay, whatever it was, mm-hmm. it wasn't paid two days ago or at least made known two days ago. And I do think it falls short of a fireable offense. I, I You know, we were debating – you know, a few months ago, whether Greg Marshall should be fired for punching a player like this, this falls short of that. It's bad and it's bizarre, but I do think it falls short of what should be a quote fireable offense. I would agree. Um, I, now we just wait and see on what exactly, I mean, what exactly the suspension is going to entail. Like, is it just going to be this weekend? Will he coach in the big East tournament? Will he not and be available for the NCAA tournament? I, I don't know. So the game is Saturday. They're fi- there's regular season finale. I would anticipate. I would anticipate that we'll have an answer Sunday, Monday at the absolute latest. But they, if you're Creighton, hell, if you're Creighton, try and get it done before the game on Saturday. The the more clarity you can bring to this, the sooner. We're recording clearly on a Friday morning, and I would think that um, that, that that Friday in general, uh, a lot of things have to get figured out on the Creighton end of things in terms of length of suspension and any other uh, any other items that need to be addressed within you know. McDermott's uh, job status and and suspension going forward. Before we get to the final four and one, I think it is incredibly important to acknowledge, especially on this podcast, that the Big South title game is scheduled for Sunday. 
Are you are you talking as if I don't have that game lined up as one of the as my pick? Like, like how dare you? But if you got a thing, go ahead. I got another one just in case. I have another game just in case you threw this into your batch. I was I by the time I recognized this momentous event was occurring on Sunday, I had already picked my games and I wasn't interested in unpicking my games. So I decided to make it just before the final four and one. Take a few minutes to note that on Sunday, Winthrop will play playing? in the Big South title game. Who are they playing? Who are they playing? They're playing the Campbell Fighting Camels. Yeah, they are. <laughs> the Fighting Camels are one victory away from securing a bid to the NCAA tournament. Dead leg, are we going to have Fighting Camels in the bubble? This podcast. God, I, want it. Podcast I, don't root, I don't root against Winthrop. But God, I want the Fighting Camels in the NCAA tournament. Cedric Henderson. Apologies. That's Cedric Henderson. Is it Cedric? Did you do that? <laughs> it's Cedric Henderson. That's my little homie from Memphis. Oh. Oh. You C- don't even know. Cedric Henderson. Not only is that Cedric Henderson, that is Cedric Henderson Jr., son of former Tiger great Cedric Henderson. Did not have any idea. Cedric Henderson. He got, made two NCAA tournaments at Memphis, made a Sweet 16, a parade All-American coming out of high school, went to East High, just like James Wiseman, played five seasons in the NBA. This is Cedric Henderson Jr. A fi- Cedric Henderson Sr. played in the NBA, start for the Tigers, and then, and then impregnated a woman, had a child who grew up to be a fighting camel. Henderson and Jordan Whitfield combining to average 29.8 points for the fighting camels. They got to go into Keon Johnson Arena and try and knock off a Winthrop team that has one loss. Big South Tournament Championship game, Sunday. Huge stuff. Noon Eastern, Auto Bid City, Winthrop. Seth Davis just texted us, goes, GP is vaccinated. What are we doing here? We've been talking (laughs) about this on the podcast for like six weeks, Seth. I'm fully vaccinated, man. He's going to listen to this episode like... 41 hours from now, by the way. Anyway, the fact that he just texted that to us is amazing. Uh, Winthrop is 22-1. and one. Its only loss is at home to Mike Morrell's UNC Asheville Bulldogs, 57-55. Winthrop, it's actually a little fascinating here. So I think Winthrop's going to get it done at Keon Johnson Arena. I'm, am I happy about this? No. Keon Johnson, by the way, the leading scorer in the history of Winthrop basketball, but everyone knew that. I'd love to get... I, what I want to have happen here is we get the Fighting Camels into the dance, okay? I want I want a cutout in Winthrop. I want I want Fighting Camels cutouts in, in inside Keon Johnson Arena. So somebody make that happen between now and Sunday, please. And then we have Campbell win. Winthrop loses... Gets to 22-2 and and puts the committee in a tough spot here. And the tough spot is this. Now, we're in a different season. I get all that. But Winthrop, as we talked about with Belmont, GP, it lost legitimate games against power conference teams. Like, and it was because of the pandemic, through no fault of its own. So, the committee has never in its history left out a team with two or fewer with two or fewer losses as an at-large candidate. It's never happened. Going back to 1994, the the at-large the at-large teams with the fewest losses. Trivia time. 
Okay, let's see if you can name two. Trivia time. Okay, okay. Shouts to Jerry Palm because he gave me this data yesterday. Since 1994, there have been five teams with two or fewer losses that have been at large teams that got into the NCAA tournament. Can you name two of the five? UMass Lowell. Oh, God. Elvis is the alma mater, the River Hawks. How about this? How about a hint? Two of them come from the... I mean, I can't believe i got to give... I can't believe I've got to give the 2017 to 2019 A10 MC of Media Day this hint. Pre-pandemic. Two of them come from the Atlantic 10. Uh, what is even the question? <laughs> there have been five teams that have okay. made the tournament as an at-large, and when they got there, they had two or fewer losses, which would be what Winthrop was trying to accomplish. Okay, St. Joseph's. There we go. I knew that one. It's my homie Jameer Nelson, my coworker. There we go. Um, St. Joe's is one, and I'll say UMass is another. Pops Mensa Bonsu. That's GW. 2006. They were 26 and two, and they got in. The other three, two of them in 2012. Anthony Davis's Kentucky team. They were 32 and two, got the at large. Off the top of our heads, can we guess who they lost to in that SEC tournament? I think I know. Vanderbilt. Yeah. Is it Vandy? Yeah. You had that you had that locked and loaded. Yeah, it's Vanderbilt. You hold on. Like for sure. I, I I wanted to say I wanted to say Mississippi State, but you're saying Vandy. Well, let me look it up. Let me let me confirm. You had but that you had that good to go. Yes, yeah, Vanderbilt, seventy one sixty four. Look at you. Proud of you, bud. Um, I'm basically the historian of the Ion College Basketball Podcast now. Uh, you might be the historian of the 2012 SEC tournament. <laughs> so Kentucky and you were genuinely shocked that I knew that. I, I was like, you had it, like it was right there, like it was right there. You didn't have to UMass Lowell yourself into to a delay. You like it was good to go. I'm impressed. St. Joe's, GW, and then Q's and Kentucky in 2012 both made it, and then 96. My favorite college basketball team of all time, Kentucky, 28-2. and two. They lost in the SEC tournament as well. Maybe they lost to Mississippi State in 96. Maybe that's what actually happened. Maybe I think that, that was because you know who? Dante Jones. Boom. Gosh. Dante Jones. It's Mississippi March, State. My man took like 68 hours of summer classes to get eligible at Mississippi State. I think they actually, the NCAA created a rule to eliminate people from doing what Dante Jones did that's <laughs> to get eligible at Mississippi State. Uh, like... If you could look at like what coaches tried to do in the seventies, eighties, and nineties, and and the loopholes that existed, it was just a different era. Like that stuff is gone forever, unfortunately. But yes, just the greatest story. Dan Wetzel tells it. Uh, Jerry Tarkanian at yes, UNLV. It's amazing. U UNLV had a program at the school where if you were the valedictorian of your high school, you you could go your full scholarship to UNLV, regardless of high school. UNLV recruited a kid in in jail who was like the valedictorian of his jail high school. And they got him, they didn't have to use an athletic scholarship on him because he got a full academic scholarship for being the valedictorian of a prison school or something similar to that. That's what we were doing back in the day. It's unbelievable. By the way, Goodman just texted me. He said a high major coach is asking for Jerry Palmsell and he's serious. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what? I'm sure Jerry Palm wants to hear from a from a high major coach who's unhappy with his current seating projection. <laughs> but I almost want to tweet out. Uh, just got a text from uh, from Jeff Goodman that he got a text from a high major coach. But I won't. Um, 
Anyway, so those are the two lost teams. If Winthrop were to lose, uh, a two-loss team has never been held out of the NCAA tournament. Well, then, 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 what, then what Winthrop should do for the good of the tournament is forfeit. No, I don't know if it's going to get in, though. It lost Forfeit games. and let the fighting camels in. I mean, listen, here's my deal. It lost games against Louisville and Seton Hall along with Duquesne, which is still rolling the A-10 as we record this. I don't know if that'll be the case at the end of the day, but they lost games out of their own power. It was out of their control. COVID just completely destroyed their non-conference opportunities against quality opponents. If Winthrop had beat Louisville but lost to Seton Hall and beat Duquesne, like we would clearly be talking about their, their at-large case. But we don't have that, and so it's almost like they've been tossed to the side there. It's interesting. I don't expect that Winthrop would get in if it loses to the Fighting Camels in the Big South title game, and I can't tell you how overjoyed I am that we have now turned this into at least a seven-minute segment on a Big South game. But I I don't have trust in the committee that it's going to do that. And I can't even say for sure that Winthrop would absolutely deserve it over other teams currently fighting on the cut line. But I don't like the idea of a team going 22-2 and and having like a solid strength of record metric. I mean, Winthrop right now is strength of record. Where does it land? It's, it's 50th. It's good. It's not great. <sighs> if they lose, they're not going to make it. Let's just be yeah. honest. If they lose, they're not going to make it. Yeah, I agree. They're going to be double-digit favorites. couple of notes on the Fighting Camels. Effective field goal percentage, 56.1. That's 12th in the nation. They shoot 38.3% from three. That's top 20 nationally. Don't let them Fighting Camels get hot from the arc. Don't let them. They played Winthrop to a one-point game earlier this season. They lost to them twice. One was a blowout. One was a one-point game. So the Fighting Camels, they'll have a chance. Again, tip-off. What time is tip-off? Noon. <laughs> Sunday. You don't even know? What? Sunday Sunday at noon Eastern. All right, let's get to the final four and one. Update us on the records. All right, I'm 30 and 29. You're 27 and 32. You're not out of it. You're three behind in the win column, but you got to have a, you got to have a big week this week. And the tournament, you still got plenty of opportunity. Okay, I prepared. I prepared. I'm going to have a big week this week. Game one, Saturday, 4 p.m. Eastern, number four, Illinois at number seven, Ohio State inside Michael Conley Arena. Top 10 in the entire NBA, real plus minus. You can watch it on ESPN Illinois minus one. I picked Ohio State for the site on the app when you see our previews. Um, I will stick with that here, obviously. I don't want to. I feel like GP sometimes goes one way on the, on the site and the other way on the podcast. I, 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 did, I, I did that last week. I, did, I went one way on the site, <laughs> another way on the podcast, sent in my pick to HQ one way, and then on HQ said it another way. <laughs> I was all over the place. I can't remember what game it was, but I picked it. I think it was the I. I think it was Iowa and whoever Iowa played. If there's a way to pick a game three different times, you might have you might have achieved that last week. <laughs> yes. So I will take I'll take Ohio State in this spot. In my opinion, if Illinois wins at Ohio State, the four seeds are absolute. The one seeds are locked. I don't think there's anything that can happen in the Big Ten tournament that would change it. If Illinois wins on the road against Ohio State, Michigan has won the Big Ten regular season championship. Baylor got another good win over Oklahoma State on Thursday night. I don't think there's anything that can change the one seeds, um, which will bring a little less drama to the selection show. A loss here though, and then you know it still be interesting. But so I will, and I and I'm going with interesting. I will. I'll take Ohio State to win and cover. Uh, Ohio State's lost three straight. Here's all I know about Illinois. Last time Io Desumu played, Illinois lost to Michigan State. Since then, Illinois is three and zero without Desumu, with wins over Nebraska, not inside Pinnacle, Wisconsin, and Michigan. It's time to ask. Illinois better without Io Desumu? It's not. <laughs> pr- pr- that's not what the numbers say. I'm gonna say no. 
They've lost multiple times this season with Io DeSumo. They have not lost without him. Oh, okay. That's what we're going with. All right. Should, uh, you, Io, should, be, Jim, should Io opt out right now? We should ask Jim Beheim if he thinks Illinois is better without Io DeSumo. <laughs> like, like Duke is better without Jalen Johnson. Should I hop on the Syracuse post-game Zoom on Saturday see if, he, uh, see if he's got an issue I, with that question? I love that Jim subsequently like acknowledged. Like, I haven't even watched him play. <laughs> he doesn't even know. <laughs> He's on one this year, by the way. Yeah, terrific. Um, I'm taking Ohio State. I'm taking Ohio State. I don't inside Michael Conley Arena. I think they bounce back. Chris Holman does not get the credit he deserves. <laughs> he doesn't. That's correct. <laughs> Game two, Saturday, 6 p.m. Eastern. Duke at North Carolina inside the Leaky Black Center. You can watch it on ESPN. North Carolina minus two. Carolina, and I don't have much hesitation. I feel like this is. UNC 76, Duke 66. I'm taking North Carolina as well. UNC last four in, according to Jerry Palm right now. I got a cell number. Duke is just on the wrong side of the bubble. You could actually argue this is bigger than most Duke-UNC games because, like, both are fighting for their lives. Mm-hmm. Like, the, I'm not saying the loser can't make it, especially if the loser is North Carolina. But, like, Duke losing, you're really up against it at, at, at that point. So it's, it's a massive game. It won't show up on your default top 25 scoreboard because neither team is ranked. That's unusual. Like, you got to go search for this one. But um, it, it's a high-stakes uh, game between two longtime rivals. I will also take North Carolina inside the Leaky Black Center. Sunday, noon Eastern, Memphis. At number nine, Houston. That's Cedric Henderson's alma mater, Memphis. Memphis at number nine, Houston, inside the Dream Shake Center. You can watch it on CBS. It's America's most watched network, network of stars. Houston minus 12. So should I just make my pick in six seconds and then you can talk about Memphis? Is that what we should should do here? Houston minus 12 over Cedric Henderson's alma mater. I am going to take Memphis to cover the 12th. And I know that you're going to take Memphis to cover the 12 too. Tell us why. Just because I have a, because I don't want my mention fired up by Memphis fans. Really, that's the only reason. No. Although I will say, Memphis, um, Memphis is number one in adjusted defensive efficiency. Did you recognize that? I did. I did recognize that. Yes. It's the best defensive team in America. Houston's number five, by the way. Memphis is 15 and six with five single digit losses. Three, half of their losses are by three or fewer points. They have they don't they have not been blown out really this season. And so I'm not saying Houston can't do it. Houston is terrific. But do, have you followed? I don't think this is a story that's resonated outside of Houston or Memphis. The controversy connected to this game? No, I saw you tweet a thing or two about it, but I didn't I didn't mess around with that. No. Okay, so Memphis went on COVID pause. Here's the quick version. Memphis goes on COVID pause, and they lost a game to Houston. They lost a game with Wichita State. And so they were going to try to reschedule games for this week. And Memphis wanted to play Houston. They wanted to make up that game. The first game that was supposed to be at Houston got postponed because of COVID issues at Memphis. So Memphis wanted to make up the Houston game. Houston hasn't played all week. Houston played last weekend, and they'll play this weekend. They had the whole week off. Well, Houston argued... That, listen, Memphis has multiple games that it needs to make up. Make them play Wichita State, not us. And the league office is like, why? And Houston accurately points out, there are only four good teams in the AAC. It's Memphis, Houston, Wichita State, SMU. Um, Houston, after it plays Memphis this weekend, is going to have played five games against the three other good teams. Wichita State has only played three against the other good teams. So Houston said, we're about to lose a conference championship, which they are. They're about to lose a conference championship. 
simply because we played all the hard teams and Wichita State barely played the hard teams. Right now it's five and three against hard. We're, we played five games against hard teams. They played three. Make Memphis play Wichita State. That'll be four hard games for Wichita State, and we'll be stuck on five. If you make us play Memphis, it's six for us and three for them. That's not fair. So what Houston argued was send Memphis to Wichita State to make up that game. Let Memphis beat Wichita State, and we'll win the conference championship. So then they, the league comes back to Memphis with that. And Memphis is like, you know, okay, well, so what does this mean? And they said, well, it means you would only play Houston one time. And, oh, by the way, based on a preseason agreement, because the first game that was supposed to be at Houston got canceled because of COVID issues in your program, that one game now flips back to Houston. So you're not playing – you go to, the, like, the ESPN scoreboard right now, it still says Houston at Memphis. Mm. It's not. It's Memphis at Houston. So because of a preseason agreement – Basically, because Houston refused to play Memphis, that home game on Sunday for Memphis becomes a road game at Houston. And then and then Memphis was pissed off, and they were like, well, we're not playing Wichita State. Forget it. So, yeah. like, it's like, like, you know, Penny on on the record publicly said Houston cried so much and they took our home game. I mean, like, it's, it's like a, it's been a thing. And so I don't know that it'll have any impact on the game, but it is an interesting subplot. Basically, for the Tigers, um, they're among the, you know, first – eight out of the yeah. field right now according to palm and anybody else who does a bracket if they win this game they probably wake up on monday on the right side of the bubble but of course winning a game at houston is very very difficult evidence being they are 12 point underdogs i'll take memphis plus the 12 um we'll see undeniably biggest game of the of the penny hardaway era Game four, Sunday, 4.30 Eastern, number two Michigan at Michigan State inside the Mateen Cleave Center. You can watch it on CBS, America's Most Watched Network, Network of Stars, Michigan minus 11. 11 at Breslin. Hmm, I was wondering what this line was going to be. Uh, Beat them by 19 last night. I know. and it, Celebrated in an empty arena, confetti falling on the hands. Did we catch Juwan Howard's uh, dancing at home afterward? Jace, the son, put it on, uh, put on Twitter. Some... Uh, some Miami moves there, by the way. Definitely could tell John Howard played for the Heat with that uh, with that salsa dance. Love it. Um, I will take Sparty to cover the 11. There's been a lot of instances this season where you have teams play each other in a two- or three-day period, and the second game does not resemble the first one. So for that, and the fact that Michigan State has done decently enough for itself in some big spots over the past three weeks, I will take Michigan State to cover uh, winning would not surprise me. I mean, Michigan locked up the one seed in the Big Ten tournament, won the regular season championship. This is a complete house money situation thing. Like, I, I think Michigan State's got a decent chance at actually winning this game, um, but I'm not going to mess around with that. I'll just take them to cover. I'll take Michigan minus the points only because I need to go opposite of you. I do recognize what you said is true. It's often, whether it's CUSA, NBC, the team that loses the first game wins the second game. I, I do think this will be a more competitive game than Thursday night's game, but I, I'm playing catch up here, dead leg. I gotta, I'll, I'll take Michigan and lay the points. All right, what's your and one? Okay, um, we have three auto bids coming this weekend. So we talked about Big South. Keep it on your radar for Sunday, Saturday, eight Eastern, Ohio Valley. You got an interesting Belmont situation. They got to, uh, they still have to win uh, Friday, by the way, to get there. But I think that they're going to. And then uh, if they can win the OVC, they're going to be in. If they don't, they'll also have a. I'll have a tough case, but we'll see. So that's your Saturday auto bid situation. Sunday, um, Big South and Missouri Valley, 2 Eastern, CBS, GP&I, by the way, Sunday, all day, pregame, halftime, postgame, triple header, CBS, be there, HQ, second screen experience, 
We're going to be all over this, okay? So we'll be there. That's the Missouri Valley. We'll see if it's Drake versus Loyola Chicago or anyone else. Arch Madness gets going with uh, Fever here on Friday into Saturday and then on Sunday. And then the Atlantic Sun auto bid will be handed out at 2 Eastern on Sunday. For a lot of people, those auto bids, um, you know, league championship games, that really does, you know, check the body clock. All right, March is actually here, so we're going to be getting a lot of that good stuff over the weekend. I won't mess around with the with the scheduling uh, too much like I normally do. GP hit on some hit on uh, plenty of the ones that are interesting. I will just note that if Rutgers loses at Minnesota, I would probably take it out of the field for the time being. Particularly like if Rutgers lost in, in Memphis won, like that'd be a good little flip situation there. Uh, Seton Hall has to win at St. John's, et cetera, et cetera. My game is, I thought you were going to provide this game, but I, I think I know why. I think I know why you didn't. Because you realize there's some heavy stakes here. You look through and you saw, wow, McCronin. McCronin's bringing in USC. This is a team that's already lost to USC. And we know, we know what's on the line here. If USC goes in, and beats UCLA. It's a 4 o'clock CBS game, by the way. I will also be on pregame halftime and post on CBS Sports HQ. Be there. If that happens, it becomes Andy and Amanda Enfield Court and Mel Wooden Court. Hashtag Mel Day. That's disrespectful. Jesus, Lord, that's disrespectful. <laughs> then, then win the game. Win the game, Mick. The line is USC minus two. I would ask who you got. I already know who you have. I'm taking the Trojans. This is gonna, not, this is gonna be not, a sand the court situation. You, 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 what, what you, Jesus. What you're suggesting here is that the reigning Pac-12 Coach of the Year, a man who has won more John Wooden Coach of the Year awards than John Wooden ever won, is about to lose the regular season finale on his home court to a cross city rival. That's what you're suggesting. You're damn right, I am. Come find me, Mick. Come find me. That's that's that's. You don't have any Cronins in the chamber, by the way. You'd love to be able to tick off a few Cronins right now. You ain't got that. Nope, that ain't happening. I could go mix. It's disrespectful to Mickey Mouse. Rocky's trainer, Mickey. Mickey Mantle. Mickey Mantle. So you're taking UCLA? Yes, of course. I can't possibly pick against the reigning Pac-12 coach of the year in his own arena. In his own arena? And regular season, I can't pick against him. That's crazy. That's the five. Huge weekend. March is here. Go up ahead and listen to that podcast intro again. Auto bids galore. We'll be back for you Sunday night. Shouts to David Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry. MF and Teagle legend. Shouts to Larnell. Thank you guys once again for listening to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. Middle of the dumbest pandemic of my lifetime. This is wild, dead leg. I didn't see it coming. I didn't see it coming. i never seen one like this. But there's light at the end of the tunnel. If you're not subscribed, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts. I'd appreciate it. So would Norlander. We will talk to you again on Sunday night. Till then, take care.